Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Trinity. It is good to have you here to be with you to worship the Lord together. Uh, it is, you know, as we head towards uh, the end of the school year and approach the summer, there's lots of things going on. And so I appreciate your desire to center your heart and your mind in what God is doing. And, uh, and today's a great day to do that. We will have our time of fellowship after the service with brunch together. So I'm excited for that. Uh, I'll make sure to, uh, to be concise in uh, preaching the Word of God to make sure we have plenty of time to fellowship. But uh, listen, the Word of God is, is our, full, our, our main course, and the fellowship we have together is, is, is the cherry on top today. So uh, I'm glad to have you here and to be with you this morning. Let's, uh, let's just, let me open our time with a word of prayer, and then we'll worship the Lord together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for this opportunity you've given us to be together, to, to, to turn our hearts and our minds to you. Lord, we desire to do that right now. Right now, Lord, we, we, we take the, the burdens on our hearts, the thoughts, the concerns, the things that weigh heavily upon us, Lord, and we, we, we're going to speak to our soul this morning and say, uh, be still, my soul. Wait for God alone. For our hope is in him. Father, we worship you and we give you thanks for the time you've given us to rest in your presence, to be reminded of who you are and whose we are. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. As we have been coming through the book of Daniel, I know for myself, I have so enjoyed hearing the familiar stories again and just marveling at how powerful God is and how sovereign he is that no ruler, no world event, no anything can derail what he has purposed to put into effect. So this morning, as we sing these and as we hear these scriptures, I hope that that's going to be what will be in your heart and in your mind. There are a couple of places in the songs where there is like what we, what we uh, on the platform call an instrumental. And an instrumental means you're not singing at that point. And so we have a blank screen up there that might just be some scenery. The scenery behind the slides today is a lot of nature things. Nature things that help to reveal God's power in creation, that show his diversity of all the different things and the incredible variety of what he has made. And so our hope during those points of instrumental is that that will be helpful for you to be able to just praise the Lord in your heart, to reflect on what is it that he has done for you. Because like Pastor Dan said, this is the time that we set aside, that we come, that we allow the space to do business with the Lord. So we'd invite you now to please stand and join us as we hear God's very word to us through scripture read and as we respond in singing and in prayer. The word of God, book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 24 and 25. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heavens and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor he is served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything.
Acts 17, 26 through 28. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring.
How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at you, at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the path of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth.
we've sung about shouting God's name and saying that we love to praise him. It seems appropriate to take a moment to just allow you to verbalize your praise to God for something he's done, for an attribute, one of the characteristics that makes him who he is. And so we call this popcorn prayer, which means it's not a big long prayer, it's just a sentence. And you're gonna call it out loudly enough so that everyone can hear and be blessed by it and be encouraged in their praise of the Lord. So let's take just a couple minutes, I'll close us in prayer, and just offer a popcorn prayer of praise to God that we praise his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are holy, holy, holy. Lord, we praise you for our <laughs> for Ben and Brittany and the safe arrival of a new baby as we think of what that means. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies. Father, thank you that you are a God who hears us when we pray, that you are the one true God. Father, forgive us when we chase after other things, when we can be tempted to take good things and allow them to become ultimate in our lives. Thank you that you forgive us, that we can always be restored to you because of Jesus, that there's nothing that we've done that could put us so far that you couldn't save us. So thank you for your truth that is unchanging. Thank you that we can know you and that we can praise your name, not from people as afar off, but as your beloved children. We love you, our Heavenly Father. And it's in your Son, Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Children, you may be dismissed. Well, it is good to be with you guys this morning. Before we spend time in Daniel chapter 6 together, though, I'd like to take a moment to recognize there are some guests that we have here this morning that are important to me and to Tara and my whole family. Uh, we have some, some family friends that we love dearly visiting from Massachusetts, Leslie and Joe Musiak. And... Uh, and, and Sam, their son, and Luke, their kind of quasi-son. Uh, Pretty much, he spends a lot of time with the family. So, listen, uh, 
you know, there's a saying that you may have heard, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And uh, Luke and Sam, would you guys stand up for a moment? These, these are two young men that, that uh, I kind of wondered if that would be true. What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. They were two of the first young men I met when I started in youth ministry there in Massachusetts. And I'm so very thankful to have you guys here with me this morning. They promised not to text me during the sermon or... <laughs> Uh, doing like that, but you need to know, you guys can be seated too, thanks. See, they always, actually, they never obeyed me until this very moment, so thanks guys, I appreciate that. I had a full head of hair when I went into youth ministry. No, that's not true, actually. No, I am thankful to have them here, and uh, and I hope you guys get a chance to meet them. They're just uh, been a very dear family to us, and and good friends, and, and brothers, and sisters in the Lord, so... We are going to be in Daniel chapter 6 together today, so feel free to open your Bible. We're going to, I'm going to kind of take us through the, a survey of the chapter a little bit, but Daniel chapter 6 is a story that, that I'm going to say what the story is. You're going to know immediately, probably grew up hearing the story. It's the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And, and, and in fact, when I just saying Daniel in the lion's den probably brings pictures to your mind of, uh, of this man being cast down into a pit of lions and left there to die overnight, right? But there's there's so much more to this story that I want us to, to pay attention to and to glean and, and, and to embrace because I believe it gives us the encouragement we need to go on living faithful lives, trusting in the Lord, following Jesus day in and day out as we live our lives in this world. So let me pray for God's word and then we'll jump right into it. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for uh, the, the word you've given us. As we prayed a moment ago, thank you for revealing yourself to us. That's the Bible. That's the scripture. That's your Holy Spirit quickening it and making it alive to us, Lord. And so, Father, we thank you for this story that you've given us this morning, not just of something that may have happened, but something that did happen in the historical life of Daniel, the, the man who was faithful to you and followed you every day of his life. So, Lord, bless us with your word, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one thing we need to know at this point in King Darius's reign, King Darius was uh, a king over the Medes and the Persians. And, uh, and, and so Daniel was someone that was important in his court. He was one of three kind of regional managers. And, and they all, all oversaw 120 satraps, which are like assistants to the regional manager, right? They were, they were kind of those, those, uh, those leaders that were kind of reporting into these regional managers like Daniel. And he was one of, of three. And, and, and they combined job, these three managers, was to kind of oversee the, 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 the work of the kingdom for King Darius, to make sure that nothing went wrong. So these were, these were wise men. These were men that were well-trained, that were well-equipped, that they, they had all those things that they needed to, to be successful in helping to lead the, 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 the kingdom. And the thing about Daniel that we come to know and learn in Daniel chapter 6 is that, that Daniel actually stood out among these three. He, he was someone who stood out for his wisdom and his insight, for his leadership skills, for, for the ways that he was helpful to the king. In fact, we're told that King Darius had a plan to kind of set him as kind of the overseer of all the land. So kind of oversee even these three uh, kind of regional managers, if you will. We don't know if that was necessarily something that these other leaders knew or if this was just something that the king had in mind to do, but we know that Daniel was the sort of leader that stood out among his uh, colleagues. And in fact, what we come to learn is that this is the reason why they dislike him, that, that, that he kind of, he, he's got it all together, right? 
If you've seen the show Survivor, Daniel's that contestant that knows how to start a fire. He, he's the guy that goes out in the water or the woods to kind of gather in the food for, the, for their team. He, he helps build the shelter. He, he knows how to do everything, right? And everyone likes him. That's the other thing. He's not rubbing people the wrong way. Everyone enjoys being with Daniel. And so immediately they're like, no, this guy's a threat, right? He's got it going on, going on too good for this to be good for us to let him stick around. And so in, in comparison to Daniel, none of the others are going to win any popularity contest. And they know this. And so they set about, they, they set this plan to trip him up, right? To, to cause his downfall, to ruin him. But they come up with nothing. They can't think of anything. They, they can't figure out how, to call, how, how they can kind of point out a fault or an error in Daniel's life. Listen to verse 4 of Daniel chapter 6. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because, because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Nothing came up in his Facebook feed from his years in high school that would be embarrassing. He, he hadn't been fired from any jobs. His, his job history was pretty clean. If you had kind of referred to the, the HR department, there were no complaints in his file about working with him or anything like that. He didn't even have any parking tickets, right? I mean, this, this man was squeaky clean. He, he was a good leader. He was a good man. He was someone who didn't just live by the law of the land. He... he he knew how to get the job done. But so there was only one way, one way that they figured out they could cause him to stumble, that they could get rid of Daniel. Listen to verse 5. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. By the way, this makes for an excellent life goal, Right? That, that, that this would be said of you, that the only fault that someone could find in you or me is that we're 100% faithful to God. That we're 100% faithful to living in a, in a trusting way, in an obedient way with the Lord. What a, what a great thing that, that's said of Daniel. In other words, in any given circumstances, you, me, Daniel, we can be counted on 100% of the time to choose God above all else. And we may not find ourselves to be there this morning, but, it, but it's still a worthy goal of setting and, and living our daily lives in the direction of. And this is what Daniel's colleagues realize. Is Daniel is 100% faithful. If there's one thing they can count on for Daniel, it's that he's going to choose God above all else in any circumstance. And so they set about this plot to destroy him using Daniel's strength against him. Now, their, their plan involved convincing King Darius that the best way for him to assert his power, his authority over the kingdom, is, is to create this, this injunction that for 30 days, no one could petition a, a god or a, a, a human man for anything apart from King Darius. In other words, you can't go to a priest and say, can you, can, can you make this sacrifice in, uh, on my behalf and, and, and seek the god's favor for me? You can't worship any foreign god. I mean, there in, in, in Persia, I mean, they, they worship many gods, right? And so for those 30 days, King Darius was the mediator between the, the gods of the nation 
or the leaders of the nation and God, right? He, he became this key role, this authoritative role. Sovereignty was in Darius's hand for these 30 days to make it visible to the whole kingdom who was really most important, right? And so these, these wise men, these regional managers and these assistants to the regional manager, they come before King Darius and they say, we think it would be wise for you to assert your authority by in, creating this injunction and not just, not just declaring this, but write it down. Because in the law of the Medes and the Persians, if this is a, a law written down and signed, it is irrevocable. You can't, you can't change it. You can't alter it. You can't, you, you can't say, well, you know, this circumstance, we'll let this slide. It had to be uh, adhered to. And I think that's what, what's so ingenious about this plan then for these wise men. Because they realize Daniel's strength matches up perfectly against King Darius's weakness. His pride. His pride. Who, who wouldn't, as a king, think, yeah, that sounds good. I, I do want the kingdom to know who's really in charge. I do want them to know who I am and what power I have. So the king signs this injunction stating that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to Darius, will be cast into a den of lions. The trap had been set, and what we read next is Daniel's response. Look at verse 10 and 11 with me. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Church, when, when, when evil and injustice seems to be winning the day, what do you do? When it seems like things are stacked up against you, when you feel like, man, this is so unjust. How can this be allowed to go on? God, why is this happening to me? What do you do? Are you overcome with fear or, or, or even frustration that this sort of thing could go on? Are you overwhelmed with worry? Does your heart fill with such hatred towards those people that are being uh, evil toward you that, you that you set about creating your own kind of plot and plan to, to establish your own justice? Well, what do you do? Daniel doesn't do any of that. Daniel doesn't run home out of fear. Daniel doesn't say, I'm going to get to my office and I'm going to draw up a plan. We're going to work the problem we're going to overcome this. I'm going to overcome this. Daniel goes to his house to pray as he had previously done. Daniel going to his house to pray is not a reaction to this injunction the king signed. It was just something he did. In fact, three times a day to give thanks to God, to petition God, to come before him. See, regardless of what storms are brewing in Daniel's world, it's his habit to turn his attention toward God and pray for God's kingdom. Daniel's not being reactionary here. He's, he's being habitual. He's going, as was his habit, as he had previously done, to pray in his upper chamber. Now, there's something particularly interesting about him doing this, about the fact that he prays in the direction of Jerusalem. 
In the book of 1 Kings, the people of God have just finished building the temple. Solomon kind of led them in building this new temple. They would no longer be wandering through the wilderness and, and bring this, the tent, the tabernacle, uh, as a place of meeting with God. God would now allow them to build a temple, and it had been completed, and they're dedicating this temple. And, and listen to the prayer that King Solomon prays as part of his dedication. Verse 46 of 1 Kings chapter 8. If they sin against you, King Solomon is kind of petitioning God. He's saying, if the people of Israel sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and give them to an enemy, say like the Medes and the Persians, right? So that they're carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they've been carried captive, and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, we have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you in all the transgressions that they have committed against you and grant them compassion in the sight of those who have carried them captive, that they may have compassion on them. See, Daniel's doing what had been already prescribed as a, a, a valid and important, a valuable habit in the life of God's people. That when they find themselves captive in a foreign land, living under the, 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 the human authority of another king, that, that they could turn their hearts to God, that they could physically posture themselves towards Jerusalem to remind themselves not just of God's promises, but of God's faithfulness and his willingness to forgive with a compassionate heart. And not just for, for God to forgive them, but for God's power and authority to give their captives compassion on them. You may uh, know from some of the other Old Testament prophets that it's these Persians that give permission, Cyrus gives permission, he has compassion on the Israelites to send them back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple after it had been destroyed and they had been sent into exile. That's not because Cyrus just had a, a good day that day, that he'd had a delicious breakfast and a good walk outside and feeling in a good mood. That's because God had given them favor, given the Israelites favor in their captives' hearts and minds, just as they were taught to pray. This is what Daniel's doing. He's, he's not going there because he heard what was going to happen to him. He went there because it was his habit to be faithful to God above all else. Faithful in petitioning God for favor, for forgiveness, for compassion on the people of God. This was not Daniel saying, hey God, uh, if you can, I've got this big uh, decision coming up. Give me wisdom for this. He's praying for God's kingdom, for God's people as was his was habit. See, I think this spiritual discipline of prayer is more than just praying a petition. It's, it's the act of remembrance, remembering who God is, remembering who he is as, as, as our authoritative king, our heavenly father, our, our shepherd. So I think the habit of praying reminds him of God's faithfulness and, and and reminds him that the God who rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt could do it again. 
and that when his people are in a foreign land because they've turned their backs on God, they've sinned against God and have been led into captivity, that God has promised to have compassion on them, grace, and restore them. See, Daniel's not doing this because he's scared of what about, what's about to happen. No, it, 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 it's what he's been doing all along. Even before the idea of casting him into a lion's den was even in the minds of his opposition. As the story goes, the officials and the satraps find Daniel praying and they, they bring him before the king for, for breaking this irrevocable injunction that the king had just signed. And, and this is one of those, those light bulb moments where the king realizes that he's been duped. See, Daniel, Daniel's his buddy. I mean, I don't know that I would say he loves Daniel, but, but earlier in the chapter, in, in chapter 6, we, we read how the king had set, it to, uh, set his mind to placing Daniel over all the kingdom. You don't do that to just anyone. You, you do that to the people you care about. And, and so at the very least, we, we, we know that the king wouldn't have wanted Daniel to be sent into the, the lion's den had he had his choice. But even more so, in the verses that follow, that, that, that we realize... King Darius' true heart for Daniel. Listen in verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Please understand something here. Daniel's impending execution did not fall lightly on the king. Right? This, the, the, the idea that the Hebrew text conveys is that there is such distress in his soul. It's like this evil reeling and rolling throughout the soul of the king. He was not happy about what was going on. He wanted to find a way around this, but, but, but he couldn't, right? At the end of the day, Daniel's fate was beyond King Darius's power and authority. Do we get that? The king who, who had set about this plan to, or, or had agreed to this plan to set him over the, the authority of the land to make it clear who had true power and authority is here admitting, and coming to the realization at least, that he can't help his friend Daniel. His power is limited. Daniel is then cast into the den of lions, but before the den is sealed, the king shares these parting words in verse 16. May your God, Daniel, whom you serve, continually deliver you. Again, what a great testimony of others to have about you. To desire that people would look upon you and think, okay, this is someone that, that serves God continually. Daniel is the man who, who serves the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all creation, and he serves him continually. You know, it's a bit ironic that the king of the, this great kingdom declares these words, right? It's almost like this, this moment where he realizes, where he admits that he's powerless to save Daniel from the lion's den, someone who was supposed to have that authority, Right? And so Daniel then is sealed up in the den after these words with a stone that, that's rolled over the mouth of the entrance. You know, this isn't necessarily a, a path that we need to go down this morning, but I think it's interesting in this chapter, the echo between the life of Daniel and the life of Christ. That, that, that someone would be under the judgment of death, put 
in, in, in a tomb of sorts, and a stone rolled over the entrance and sealed. There's an echo between Daniel's life and Jesus, excuse me, Jesus' life. We're told, though, that the king couldn't sleep that night, that after Daniel's sealed up in the, in the tomb in the, in the lion's den, that, that the king goes home, but he can't sleep, he can't eat. He paces around all night. His, his thoughts would not escape thinking on Daniel and his fate. And, and so he fasts. He, he fasts, which apparently so do the lions, because at dawn, when Daniel, or when, when King Darius runs to the, the tomb, runs to the, 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 uh, the lion's den, he finds Daniel alive, right? Listen to Daniel's one line. This is Daniel's one speaking part in this whole chapter, in this whole story. Listen to what he says in verses 21 to 22. Then Daniel said to the king, after King Darius calls out to Daniel, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. See, Daniel conquered his opposition. He defeated his enemies only through faith in God, right? It, it wasn't because of any effort that he put forth. Uh, it wasn't because he was more crafty than his opponents. Only by his faith in God and his obedience to the Lord were his opponents defeated. And so I think Daniel's faith is worth paying attention to, church. I think we can look at Daniel's faith as being the thing that we want to learn from and glean how it is to live a life of faithfulness in a land that doesn't always agree with your biblical worldview, that has different views on, on what is right and what is wrong. And, and as a way to avoid us setting up this contrast between us and them, good versus evil, we recognize, yes, that there's evil in the world, but it's not necessarily in the face of our neighbor but a, a spiritual power that's at work beyond that. Well, the way we need to, to consider how we can live in light of this is to consider Daniel's faith. Church, I can't promise you that you'll always be rescued from whatever lion's den you're cast into. I can't promise you health or, or prosperity for the rest of your life. I can't promise you that no evil will ever hurt you in this world. And I don't think that that's what Daniel's story teaches us. See, what I can promise you is that the evil of this world will not have the last say and will not be the end. What I can promise you is that there is only one way to be a conqueror in this life and in the next, and that's only by faith in Jesus. Only by surrendering our hearts and our lives to him can we truly trust that we will be conquerors in this life and in the next. That we can be confident, 100% confident, that when we reach the end of our life, this side of heaven, we will look back and know that we are secure in the hands of our heavenly father. And so we are conquerors with him. Paul reminds us of this in Romans chapter 8, verses 37 to 38. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, being eaten alive by lions or not, right, by angels or rulers, King Darius or the angel of God, 
whether it's the present things or things to come, whether it's our present circumstances or the circumstances of tomorrow, none of these things can defeat us. Nor height, I'm sorry, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. None of these things can defeat us. Why? Because of the one we have living in us through faith. The love of God is present to us, and that is a greater power than anything a human king can offer us, greater than any human king who would allow himself to believe that he is a sole authority, the highest authority in the land, and then has to come face to face with the reality that they can do nothing to save their friend from the lion's den, right? So how can you and I live like Daniel in in a foreign land? How can we remain faithful to God when it feels like the evil of this world is stacking up against us? Well, let me give you three quick ideas from Daniel's life. The first is to accept the reality that this world hates you. That, that, That sin and evil is a real thing in this world, and it's working against you. That, that Satan is using the, the tools of this world, the, the things that, that, that he can manipulate to, to, to work against you, and he hates you. Now, I know hate, hate is a harsh word, but, but the reality is that Jesus promised that in this world we will have many troubles. Well, that's because this world hates us, right? Paul reminds us that, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, we don't wrestle against a person sitting on the other side of the table from us or, or our neighbor next door. We wrestle against evil powers and principalities, right? I think that's an important kind of like pause or side note for us to make here. That, that as we, we think about the things going on in this world, there are many people who are not walking with the Lord who need our compassion and not our, 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 our visceral hate or judgment on them. They need to experience the mercy and the love of God. They are not our enemies. Satan and evil and wickedness and injustice are our enemies in this world. And so I think it's important as we think about the world hating us, it's not, I don't want you to put a face to the name, right? I I don't want you to think of some organization or or whatnot. It's a spiritual battle that we're up against. And Satan is working overtime to make it clear that he does not like us. In John 15, verse 19, Jesus tells us, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, right? If you affirm the, the, the beliefs and the values and, and what of the world, the world would love you and say, hey, there's nothing wrong here. You're great. Come along, right? But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you, right? To follow Jesus, to be faithful and obedient to him means that there will be an evil that hates you, an evil that characterizes this world. The mere fact that you love and obey God's word and not the the values and the ways of the kingdom of this world means that there will be people that exhibit hate towards you. It's, It's the nature of the spiritual war that's going on in this life. But let me caution you not to lose sight of the spiritual war. Right? We, 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 we simplify it down to this, the, the war of flesh, of, of, of ideologies, and who's right, who's wrong. And, and because this person holds to that ideology, I hate that person. But it's not true. 
the battle is in our minds and in our hearts. And Jesus has overcome this world. He's our conqueror. And so hold close to him. You've got to start with the realization that there is this evil battle, this battle going on between good and evil. And that if you take Jesus aside, the world will hate you. That's our starting point. It's a harsh and difficult starting point, but it's, it's our starting point because Daniel's life shows us that we can live righteous and just lives and still be faced with people who hate us. So the second thing we learn from Daniel is that we have to keep our focus on, on God. Daniel prayed rain or shine, didn't he? Well, he went three times a day, as he had previously done, to go kneel in his upper chamber and face the land of Jerusalem and pray and petition the Father. He prayed rain or shine. It didn't matter what his circumstances are. See, our, our passage makes it clear that kneeling in prayer toward Jerusalem was a habit for Daniel. Now, some of us may scoff at this idea of a religious habit as being too restrictive or repetitive or devoid of meaning. Right? We, we have habits in our lives, whether we like to think so or not, but, but we've come to, uh, to, to not necessarily enjoy religious habits as much, to find them life-giving. But I think that habits are more beneficial than that. I think it's just the opposite of, of thinking of them as, as being rote and dry and empty of meaning. I think habits are quite beneficial for us. One author I read said that a trained habit is to be confined to its track and therein consists its usefulness and safety. In other words, a train can only safely get to its destination if it adheres to the track that was created for it to follow. Right? Trains don't just pick any which way they want to go. They, they adhere the habit of the path that's been laid out before them. In church, there's only one track for our salvation. It's not the hands of an earthly king or some other earthly power or wisdom. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so our spiritual habit is to come to Jesus day after day after day. And not just once a day, but as is the habit three times a day, maybe more. See, spiritual habits guide us down that track that, that Jesus has laid out for us with his life, his death, and his resurrection. And they will lead us to the desired destination we long for, to be, to be embraced in our Heavenly Father's loving arms, right? So don't look down on spiritual habits. Don't, don't, don't see them as being empty and archaic and, and dry. Uh, these habits are, are, are healthy. They're uh, they're a healthy way of us engaging with God and, and learning to trust Him more and more. If it's a healthy habit, such as reading and meditating on the Word of God or, or meeting with God in silence and solitude and prayer, then, then trust where you're headed. Because God's Word instructs us to, to, to meditate on the Word of God, to dwell upon it, to, to eat this Word, to let Him bear fruit in your life. In Psalm 119, we're told this in verse 15 and 16. I think it's a prayer we can pray, right? I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. See, Daniel's story teaches us that this world will hate you for believing in and living in obedience to God. So, so Daniel's story also teaches us that we should keep our attention on him, on God at all times. 
And then finally, the last thought that I had was, don't put your hope in man who will disappoint you, but place your hope in Jesus. Now, I'm, saying, I'm not saying you can't trust anything that, that mankind says. I'm not encouraging you to, to live this life completely distrusting of anything in this world. But don't expect them to have your best interest at heart. Don't expect the leaders of this world that are apart from God, that are not walking with Jesus, that are not led by the word of God and the promises of God, don't expect them to have your best interest at heart or to necessarily lead you where you want to go. In Psalm 146, the psalmist wisely teaches us, put not your trust in princes in a son of man in whom there's no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. See, if if Daniel's hope was in King Darius, he would have been crushed, literally and figuratively, right? If Daniel's hope was only in King Darius, he would have been dead. Darius wasn't mocking Daniel when he told him, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. He was legitimately declaring, I'm at the end of my rope in terms of what I have the power to do. You're in God's hands, right? He recognizes God's power and authority and, and is able to admit the limit of his own, his own power. See, how, how many of you have been let down by a friend in this world? How many of you have been let down by a family member? How many of you have been working with a boss that was, that was a big disappointment, Right? We understand we can't put our hope in in man to accomplish the desires of our heart that we've been created to long for. Namely, forgiveness and restoration, peace in God, wholeness in who we've been created to be. That can't come from some human man or leader. That's going to come from God alone. Trinity, put now your trust in princes in whom there's no salvation. He, he, he or she will die just like the rest of us, and that very day their plans will perish with them. And said, let's, let's desire to be these blessed men and women who, whose help and whose help is the Lord of God, or the Lord God, our, our Savior, right? So I think it's important for us to understand the world hates us. So we need to keep our eyes on Jesus and not put our hope in man. Daniel doesn't teach us to hate the world. He doesn't teach us to have a pity party because everyone hates us or is against us. Daniel teaches us that God is ultimately in charge of the outcome. And our role in that relationship is to cling to him, to keep our focus on him, to be mindful of him, and to trust that that our future, our lives are in his hands securely. You may think that you can determine your future, but it's not true. How, how many of us have woken up early to try to beat the traffic, to get on the road, right? But, but you can't control new construction that day. You can't control an accident that's going on further on down the road. You can't control the number of people who also have it in mind to wake up early and get on the road early to try and beat the traffic. You you may think that you have choices to make, and you do, 
But God is ultimately the sovereign one, the one in control, and and thank God for that. See, this world is not for us, but God is. So keep your heart focused on him. Keep your eyes trusting in, uh, focused on him and trusting in Jesus, that he's, that, that he's leading us to the good father who's our, who's our savior and our shepherd, who's going to guide us along the way, who's going to provide for us while we're in the wilderness. Daniel teaches us to faithfully follow Jesus no matter what our circumstances appear to be. So I want you to notice something in Daniel's story. Yeah, it's a story about Daniel's life. It's a story about him being cast into a lion's den. But Daniel's only recorded as having one short line. Daniel, when he speaks up, everything else is kind of said of him. He's a passive participant in the story. Daniel's recorded saying, Oh God, my, oh King, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they've not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O oh King. That's it. That's all Daniel says. Why? Why is this all that Daniel's allowed to say in this chapter? I think it's because it's not what he says that is the, the focus of, of what we want to walk away with. It's how he lived his life. When you find yourself living in a foreign land that lives by a different worldview from you and holds to a, a different belief system than you do, actions speak louder than words. People don't need to hear you tell them that you're a Christian. What they need to see is to see you living out your biblical worldview, to live out your faith according to the word of God. We don't don't know what Daniel even prayed. We know he gave thanks, but we don't know what words he used or or the, the posture of his heart. We know that he placed his strength, his faith in God, that God was his strength. What's told of Daniel is not the, the grandiose words he prayed or, or, or the, the, the doctrines that he proclaimed, but the life that he lived, the habits of his heart, that he would regularly, three times a day, kneel before God, kind of step away from all the distractions, even physically posture him towards Jerusalem so that he could think on and remember the promises of God and who God is. That's what's told of Daniel. Even to his his enemies, his faithfulness to God stood out. It was evident. Even to King Darius, his continual service to God was clear. Daniel cared about the habits of his heart, of, of how he stayed focused on Jesus, how he maintained his hope in God alone. A Greek philosopher Plato once said, that which is honored in the land is cultivated there. In other words, that which is given your time and your attention and your passion and your heart, that which you value will be the thing that grows and expands. Jesus said something similar in the New Testament. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Church, honor those healthy habits that center you and ground you in your faith in Jesus. Honor those those healthy habits that keep you focused on God and, and, and help maintain your hope in him at all costs. Your job is not to conquer this world or overcome it. We're already conquerors in Christ. Christ does the work 
of overcoming evil in this world. Our job is to remain focused on him, to remain connected to the vine, to live fruitful lives because of the life of Jesus that's flowing through us. So honor those healthy habits that, that help you to cultivate that spiritual life in the land. Honor those healthy daily habits that bring you time and time again to remember God, to remember his promises, and to remember his sovereignty. Church, let faith be cultivated in the land, even while we live in exile. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we trust and believe that... that, uh, Lord, that even when things are going wrong in, in our world as we see them, you are still in control. Lord, there are days, I confess, when things feel hopeless, but that's all it is. It's a feeling, Lord. It's not truly helpless. The hope that we have in Christ is complete and full. So, Lord, we pray that as we live in this world that we would that we would carry your light forth by remaining focused and attentive to you, by maintaining our hope in you, not looking to the things of this world to provide our security and our contentment and our, uh, and, and our future, but recognizing, acknowledging, and clinging to the truth that our future remains firmly in your hands. Father, thank you that you are ever in control. Give us the courage to be faithful to you day in and day out, to build the kind of habits that Daniel lived, that we too might see your glorious hand at work in this world and see others recognize your awesome might and beauty, just as King Darius did. Thank you, Father, for sending your son Jesus who is our Savior, whose life dwells within us, empowers us, and strengthens us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's respond by standing and singing.
Amen. Church, if you need to stand on the promises of God, let me just encourage you. You could write it on a three-by-five card, carry it with you. You could tape it on your mirror at home. You could put it on your door. You could put it in, in like, the, the, what's that, the sun visor of your car. Whatever you need to do to remind yourself of the promises of God so that not just in the morning but throughout the day when you face these moments where you need to be reminded of the promises of God, they come to mind. Yeah, first by reading it, but eventually... It will sink down into your heart. One passage I would encourage you to think about is Psalm 62.5. That's one I've been spending time just dwelling in, thinking on, meditating. Uh, Find rest my soul in God alone, for my hope is from him. That's That's a great prayer for us just to pray over and over again in those moments where we need to be reminded of God. Hey, as we close our time in worship this morning, just want to let you know two quick, a few quick things. One, next Sunday, Father's Day, we'll be doing a, a child dedication. I hope you can be here. It's always fun. Uh, we have three families that are involved in that now, and, and uh, I'm excited to introduce you to the children and, and the families. Uh, VBS is now open. So if you have children that, that would want to be involved, go ahead and sign them up. You can go on our website. You can sign up through the app. There's many different ways to go ahead and sign up online. Uh, we love it. You can invite your neighbors. It's free. Um, it's the first time in two years that we've done it in person, so uh, I'm super excited about that. I mean, this is one of my favorite weeks of the year uh, for, for hopefully obvious reasons, but it's a lot of fun, just a chance to be immature but, but goofy and fun and, and really lean into what God would have for us. And then lastly this morning, I want to encourage you. I'm going to pray here in a moment, and we're going to continue to worship down uh, together in fellowship down the hall as we enjoy brunch together. So I hope you will join us. So, uh, church, let's bow our heads and ask the Lord's blessing on our time together. Heavenly Father, we truly give you thanks for the chance to gather together to worship you. Like the early church, we gather together to study the apostles' teaching, to, to celebrate your word and to be challenged by you and, and, and to praise you, but also to fellowship together, to break bread, knowing that in that place you are spiritually knitting our hearts together in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, bless this food that we're about to, to, to enjoy together and bless the fellowship we have around the table. For we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you down the hall.